This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. And welcome once again to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan. Today we are looking at another episode of New Who, one that uh, I suppose was well, actually our last episode of New Who for season one because we've only got a classic Who and then the, the, the long-awaited episode looking at the Doctor Who movie to finish up our first season. This, I'll be honest, is not an episode I would have picked if I was picking from the Matt Smith era, but... Obviously, the new Who picks are done by our good buddy, Dan. So, Dan, do you want to tell us why you picked this episode and let us know how your eventful weekend has been with my little visit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, the the universe didn't implode. We're still going. There's no wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey bullshit. Me and Simon met up uh, in uh, in my hometown in York, and we had had two nights of of sedate, steady beverage consumption. You know, there was nothing outlandish, (laughs) nothing ridiculous, and we definitely didn't have... People in the pub sat there looking at us, going, "Beer just keeps coming." Yeah, <laughs> there was, there was a, the the group of people that my wife was meeting for this this book signing that we spent Friday night with. There was a few of the ladies with them that were amazed that our little table next to theirs kept having more and more more and more pints and glasses put in front of us as the evening progressed. I think we are. Uh, we impressed them a little bit with our prowess on there, my, my friend. Impressed or scared, um, I think, is the, the real oh, question. Yeah. But it, it was, I, I, had a, I had an absolute blast. It was, uh, it was a laugh watching uh, watching Man U get beat with you. Um, yeah, that was great. We, we, suffici- <laughs> we sufficiently confused my youngest niece, who looked at two big beardy blokes of roughly the same height, but one of whom, me, is far fatter uh, than the other one. And she just, both wearing, you know, I was in an NWO Wolfpack shirt, so you were in a black and red motorhead shirt. She just looked at us mm-hmm. both. She's at 18 months nearly. And she just looked at us both and went, two? Yeah, that was so <laughs> funny. That was amazing. She pointed at you and went, da? As in Dan. Yeah. And then pointed at me, looks a bit confused. <laughs> yeah. It must have proper like blown her, her, her young little mind, you know? <laughs> but she came in today and she, um, she was like, look, she went for a tour around. She went looking for my, uh, looking for my parents. And then uh, I asked her if she was look. I asked her if she was looking for you as well, and just that little confused look on her face popped up again. And I thought, "Well, that's a no." Then. 
<laughs> people often look at me and make funny noises and look confused to be fair you know that's and, kind and, of something i've had my whole life and kids often look at me and get scared <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is this what is this giant mess of fat and hair wobbling towards me <laughs> in the middle of the street that, that sounded way more pedoey than I meant it to. I just went it on my did. walk that to work. Sounded, um, I'm not going to lie, mate. That did sound quite noncy. Well, it can only get better than this recording, can't it? So, I mean, just um, to clarify, you're, you're, you're doing that walk whilst, you know, in in your in your work clothes, heading off to, to earn a few pennies to, to pay the bills. Full, fully dre- fully dressed for a day in the office. Yeah, you're not doing that walk with a net over your shoulder carrying a bag of sweets. Do you know what I mean? It's a completely <laughs> different scenario. It's... <laughs> Oh dear, fucking hell! Right, we'll get on to the episode. Uh, we said we we're going to try and keep this a bit, uh, a bit tight, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. We're, we're already professional this week. <laughs> we're already on a, four minutes in. We're on a paedophile tangent. Um, <laughs> um, so, the, uh, to be fair, it's a good job we're laughing now because we're getting the we'll get the depressing shit out of the way first. Yeah, um, I picked this episode, Vincent and the Doctor, um, because it means a hell of a lot to me personally. Uh, it came out in June 2010. So at that time, I was not long, I was either just out of uni or not long to be out of uni. And then that age, sort of that three years, I descended into basically massive depression, Um, suicidal thoughts. Um, No one will ever know how close I got. Right, okay. To be perfectly honest. And... Coming out, getting out of uni was the first step to, I won't say recovering, because it never goes away, but to, to managing that sort of, mm-hmm. that spiral in that episode. And this episode came out. And obviously one of the main themes of this episode is Vincent Van Gogh and yes. his mental issues and, you know, and, his, and his suicide is referenced quite a lot. It's on the surface, you know, it's a, it's a big silly monster and there's, there's a famous painter there. But this episode actually delves into a lot of the mental health side of things and handles it, in my mind, very tactfully. And mm. is, is, is a, a fair, honest and judgment-free representation of how it can feel to be that depressed, hopeless, and, and a, vari- a variety of other, of other things I'll come on to. But... There's certain things and quotes in this that we'll we'll get to that spoke to me and helped me help my thought process uh, processes and uh, and basically how basically helped me work through it in my own head because I've been to doctors oh. I, I've been to the doctors down uh, down where I was at uni and at home I got put on tablets for a little while they just I felt nothing I was a zombie. Mm. And I thought it's better to feel shit than feel nothing. Then I came back to York and I just got told, oh, you're just too fat. I was like this. I was like this when I was, I was like this when I was less fat. You know, when I was thinner, the fact I've put on three stone, yeah, I'm not thrilled about it, but it's not the problem. I basically got mugged off. So I had to, it was essentially, there were two incidents. One where I was driving, I'd just been on a banging weekend for a mate's birthday I was driving back to uni and the thought of going back just made me, I was so close to just ramming my car into the central reservation of the motorway. Jesus. That, yeah. It, <laughs> not something I like to relive, but no, no, in no. The, in the, then in the back of my mind, I, my, my granddad used to, used to say, 
<laughs> I remember saying, hearing him say once it was stick your hand up your ass and pull yourself together. <laughs> okay. And, and he, he, he died years before that. And I've not thought about that in years, but that's the, the thing that popped into my head at that point. Mm. And that, that stopped me that day. And that's when I resolved to, to get to at least just to get out of uni, just to get through it and get past it. And then a lot of this and the way it was dealt, the way it was handled and the way it was put across and the relative terms it was put into by, by the doctor later on helps my mindset so much and helped me find a way of getting around it and getting through and coping. That's how much, that, that, that's how much love I have for this episode. So yeah, the, the relative terms, this was, you know, the, the put sort of depression and things into, um, helped me with my own mental process and how I cope with things mm. and effectively say, you know, saying to myself, just cause you feel that way doesn't mean it's true. And, 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 and stuff like that. And I'll get to it in a couple of the bits. Um, but yeah, that's how much love I have for this episode because it, I don't want to say it saved me because that sounds cheesy, but it really, really helped. See, you say that you don't want to say it saved you because it sounds cheesy. I mean, to me, it doesn't matter how it sounds. If it's, if it is what it is, you know, mm. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm not going to dive into any details, right now, but I, I've had issues, shall we say, you mm. know, and me and the wife have certain terms for it and try and make jokes of it and so on because it did get quite uh quite 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 dark and difficult for for a period uh, uh, not too long ago I'm not gonna lie um certain things effectively did change what was going on and it was certain um certain music certain albums by certain bands mm-hmm. and you know, I'm not going to lie, podcasting helped me massively. I mean, lockdown affected lots of different people in lots of different ways. And I'm not trying to make out that I was in any way, shape or form the worst person to, to suffer in lockdown in any way, shape or form. But it affected me in a certain way that I was quite surprised by looking mm. back now and doing this uh, and chain wrestling and so on. That did help me as well. Um, so it, it saying, oh, this no, you don't want to say this saved you because it sounds cheesy. I don't, you know, to me, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. What you think or what you you genuinely believe, if it even if it went part way to saving you in some form, then shout it from the fucking rooftops because the fact that you experienced this really difficult time in your life is really, I suppose, for, for, want of a, for want of a better term, really sort of dark days. Is it okay to mm-hmm. refer to them as that? Maybe. Um, yeah, it were, that's what they were. It was, yeah. it was the, the roughest time of my life. Yeah. And as funny as it sounds, a, a TV show effectively about an alien in a blue box traveling through time. <laughs> but but there's this TV program that has the foresight to touch upon certain aspects of society throughout the decades, throughout the 60s, 70s. You know, it's always had almost like a, a, a sort of, uh, sort of comments to make Doctor Who in regards to comparisons to real life situations, even real life situations from the past. I mean, there's there's lots of references to previous, I suppose, dictatorships of certain countries and and how mm. certain things are right. It's very much just a show about right and wrong and all this sort of stuff. Here, this this twelve year old episode, this this episode you know, from from twelve years back, touching upon the struggles of. Of, of someone that's looked upon as being now in present day, this being, being this effectively uh, artistic genius 
but he mm. led such a difficult and uh, almost tormented life because of issues he had. The fact that, that this TV show is that there's that many layers to it that it managed to touch upon that and resonate with you to the level that it mm. genuinely helped you, I think is first of all, fantastic. And it's good that you sort of, you say, you know, it, it never fully goes away. You don't get better, so to speak. And I'm sort of doing the air quotes now that works so well on a podcast because everyone can kind of see me. <laughs> you know, it's sort of the, the, you don't actually get better, better, but you sort of learn to deal with certain things or cope with certain things or, or however it may well be. The fact that this show that we adore and love has played whether it's a small part, a big part, or any part at all in that kind of step out of those more darker times. Like I said, first of all, is is, is fantastic because yeah. it's it's good for you to be coming out the other end of, of that dark period. Uh, and and two, I find it fascinating that that's how the, the mind works. With with me, a certain song might connect in a certain way. With you, a certain TV show is connected in a certain way. And it's just... I mean, I think it's brilliant and fascinating at the same time, you know? Yeah, I get that completely. And, and you're right, I should, I should shout from the rooftops. And I think my, my choice of words wasn't wasn't exactly what I was trying to convey. Um, oh, okay. Like, on, on reflection, it, it, when I said it, it sounds cheesy, because you're right, it was more the fact that it, it, this, it, gave me, it gave me part of a coping mechanism and a way to see myself through without doing anything stupid, if you like, and, and mm. basically... That plus certain ideas around in cognitive behavioral ther- behavioral therapy, just it, it sort of snowballed, like just sort of came together at a, a, a good time to put things into relative terms to understand what was actually going on in my own head. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And whilst we're, I suppose, on the topic of these these sort of these sort of issues and 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 so on, um, I think it's very important we do have you know we're very fortunate enough to have people who do listen to the show and we're hugely hugely grateful for that and you know i want to say if anyone out there ever does experience or has experienced or or whatever any kind of mental health issues it's very prominent in in my life because of issues that family members have gone through close friends have gone through and obviously my own show say wobbles to a degree obviously dan you're you're sort of bearing all so to speak here you're sort of you know opening up and talking through your own it's really important that you know we make sure everyone's aware that there are people you can talk to don't sit in a room on your own ignoring everyone or let yourself just get worse and and get to a point where things are so so bad that you know we don't quite know where you're going to end up, you know, reach out. I mean, there's always the adverts on television about just text your mates to see if they're all right. If you've got someone you're worried about, mm-hmm. do that to them. If you are the person that is feeling that way, reach out. People will listen. And if you, if you, if in worst case scenario, you've got no one, there's, there's just people online you can talk to that speak to your doctor or whatever, get some help. It's hugely important because the human mind is a, weird and wonderful thing and sometimes it can be our own worst enemy with how it makes us behave and think and and so on and how the outside world can affect how we think and behave and so on and it's just not worth entering into these these darker times i guess 
and struggling alone there's always help out there so please make sure if you ever feel that way just for god's sake speak to someone i suppose it's kind of the message i'm trying to get across in my garbled way there i, I guess dan <laughs> yeah but yeah i completely echo what si says i mean i've doing utt i've had people reach out and and, and thank me for for basically being upfront about everything mm-hmm. and you know you you know you said sort of bearing all and and things like that but it's my way small way of trying to normalize these conversations and if, if anybody out there feels they can't speak to people closer to them or they don't feel like they can speak to they don't want to worry certain people or, or anything like that i've said it before i've said it again i've said it again if you want the opinion a neutral opinion and somebody who's been in the rough patches or just somebody to talk to my dms are open yeah i will never t- i will never ignore or turn away anyone going through that sort of thing who needs an ear ever because like as i said before i got mugged off by the doctors because mm-hmm. it was 12 years ago and mental health services were the, the mental health services aren't good enough now but they were even worse back then mm-hmm. um and that's just one thing i wanted to tack on there because everything else you, you're 100 percent right yeah uh, and there you go there you go. i think mean, that's that that's all we can really say and you know well basically good luck to everybody everyone deserves to be happy don't they mate you know exactly right yeah and so, uh, whatever gets you muddling through but shall we talk about some of the funny and fun the more fun aspects of this episode yes let's i'll be honest with you uh, as i said at the start I, I knew you had sort of personal links to this episode and that's why you chose it it's something that's important to you on a personal level Mm. For me, obviously, I haven't got those those personal links. I would not have picked this episode if I was going back and looking at a Matt Smith. I would. I don't know. I can't tell you what I would have picked because I've got no idea. But this wouldn't have been one that I'd have plumped for straight away. You'd have Apart picked one of the Clara from, episodes. But well, probably, yeah. But, yeah, without a doubt, to be fair, I would have gone for <laughs> whatever episode Clara was in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I watched the last segment, which obviously we will come to later in the show, but that's quite famous from this episode with Bill Nye and so on. I've seen that on YouTube, God knows how many times, and I keep replaying that because I love it. Yeah. But that aside, I was like, I don't remember much about the episode. I don't remember much about what goes on. Um, So it didn't really stand out to me. Watching it back, obviously the end segment, again, fantastic, and we will come to that shortly. But the rest of the episode... I enjoyed much more than I thought I was going to. Yeah. It's, uh, I think a fair few people have said that over the years. And because on, on the first watch, obviously it connected me right away. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, seeing what other people have said about it. Um, you know, th- there's complaints about the the monster in in the show not being, you know, not being brilliant or anything like well, that. That is one um, thing I was going to touch upon at some point, yeah. Yeah. And looking back, especially now, you know, even though we're, sort of fair to thing, you know, being fair to the special effects and whatnot, the uh, the effects on the, on the Crefeus, they are a bit ropey nowadays. It's the case of the CGI advancing sort of too fast and, and you know, 12-year-old show already looking dated in some aspects. But, um, yeah, it, it's a weird one. It's I, think it's I think it's looked back on much more fondly than it was received at the time, sort of in a wider, in a wide, for the wider audience. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, in fact, we will uh, we'll set the scene. the The show begins with, I suppose, Vincent Van Gogh back in the eighteen hundreds painting, and there's a big 
field of, of crops of hay or whatever but there's something out there as well and we get this little little quick glimpse of this back in the 1800s and then we jump to more modern times and the doctor and amy are in a museum looking at the the artwork of van gogh and the doctor notices a, um, a basically a monstrous face in the window mm. of a painting of a church and these again this is stuff that i completely forgot about from the first time i watched it there are these little touches uh, and in in quantum leap when I, when I do the waiting room podcast with, with benny they're referred to as um kisses with time i prefer in this specific instance i prefer to call it a brush with history ah of course paint strokes brilliant stuff yeah, <laughs> there you go. yeah. yeah and it is and it is it's like little touches of things obviously that the monster's face isn't in the real painting but the fact that the doctor has seen it there makes him think okay we've got to look into this and then there's the stuff of the sunflowers later and all these these little little very small touches that go from back and forth from the you know, modern time back to van gogh's time i think those are really clever and i enjoyed that a lot more you know i i don't remember those first time rounds, so i really enjoyed those yeah i love anything like that i think it's brilliant um what, what a great premise uh to get the doctor in here and amy to van gogh yeah He's taking, basically, the doctor's just been nice, he's been super nice to her because although she, she doesn't remember it, Rory was killed in the last episode. Okay. And that's why she's like jokingly suspicious of him, saying, Why are you being nice to me? Um, and <laughs> the first thing that annoys me in this, in this episode is right at the very start when you hear those two kids go, That's the doctor. And he spins around and it's just a really bad voiceover dub saying, That's, that's the doctor that's tried to help Van Gogh as he started to go mad. <laughs> it's like it's just such a bad dub and a yeah. terrible bit of dialogue that I don't think kids of that age would ever use. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting as well. I mean, I suppose we'll come to this later on the show. That Van Gogh, he he's basically viewed upon by the people in his his village, his surroundings, as this crazy drunk. But mm. we find that that's not the case. There are other issues. I mean, name first of all a. a, a invisible monster that keeps attacking everyone <laughs> and second <laughs> quite a big problem there really and then secondly you have the the issues with van gogh's depression and and his his, his struggles there but you know i think the the way that it's viewed upon as being a madness back in those days is is really interesting as well that's quite a, quite a different standpoint of looking at the struggles that van gogh had i think yeah, well, they, well, at this point in time, they were, they were, I think they were either in or just slightly removed from the time where people thought that depression and mental issues were having demons in the brain. Mm. So, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's sort of a, a product of the times, really, and then just lack of knowledge. But before we get to any of that with Van Gogh, we've got to talk about the intro. So I've got oh, to yes. ask you, because it's a new who, and, and uh, I already know what I, what I think of it. What did you reckon to it? Um. The, the intro itself, the on-screen graphics and so on, I liked. They mm. were they were bright. They were they were eye-catching. The, you know, and I like the logo as well. That sort of comes up for a moment and then parts away where the the letters almost form like a TARDIS stood in the middle of the words Doctor Who. Yeah. I quite liked the way that was done. Musically, I think this is a it's it's difficult because obviously it's the same tune for every era just tinkered with and, and updated and so on. So it doesn't really deviate much from the initial, the initial song, I suppose the initial mm. theme. However, 
this one maybe deviates a little bit too much for me and it's like that that actual tune of the doctor who theme almost disappears into the background at times as other sound effects around it uh, uh, sort of i suppose overplay it a bit maybe did i explain that yeah, right? <laughs> yeah it's i think as well it doesn't help that they've got the thunder and lightning going on you know all the, all the external sound effects mm. and things like that but like you said i think graphically it's a really good one it's not quite as good as the um the peter capaldi one with all the roman numerals and and things yeah. like that but um i like the transition from like cool dark colors and the thunderstorm into more like of a fiery sort of color palette i thought that was quite good mm. um but yeah it's not bad like you said the the version of the music isn't the strongest um there's a bit too much going on a bit too busy yeah no, that's fair but, enough not awful i do like the doctor i do like the dw logo that then spins into being the TARDIS itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was trying to sort of verbalize the, the sort of letters that make up the TARDIS shape and spin around. And yeah, that, that's good. Yeah. 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 I, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah. No, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I suppose as well, we better quickly touch upon Matt Smith's doctor himself. Cause we're not going to see him again in, in our season one that we're sort of rocketing towards the end of, I guess. I mean, We'll ask you first, bud. Matt Smith as the Doctor, uh, Amy as the companion, the, the sort of makeup and and style it, stylings of this episode, and then I suppose the the, the the sort of time of Matt Smith's era in general, I guess. What are your thoughts on that? In this episode, the relationship between the Doctor and Amy is, is a bit odd because obviously the Doctor remembers Rory. He remembers everything that's happened. He remembers that, that Amy was engaged, but she doesn't because he's been wiped out of existence from the, the crack in uh, the crack in her bedroom wall that was like, like now a crack through the universe. Mm. Um, so at times he's quite protective, which is always which is a trait of the Doctor that comes out sort of quite a lot in New Who. I imagine it does in older Who as well. But there's. Early, early days in, in Matt Smith and Amy's run, Amy was very flirtatious. Like, right. To, to the point, it felt like she was trying to cheat on a fiancé. Yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah, 100% got those vibes, yeah. Yeah. And then it's like... It's sort of Rory came along. So it's all... You know, they're, you know, they're a couple and they've just got this mad sort of chaperone who's obviously... Who's blatantly, obviously, more friends with Amy than he is with Rory because Rory still mm-hmm. views him as competition. Sort of, you know, he's got, he's, Rory's got these insecurities. When Rory get, then gets removed from the equation, Amy goes back a little bit to how she was before, but not fully, if you know what I mean. Right. So it's, yeah. It is. It's more like just, just you know, they're just mates off on, you know, off on these adventures. But it's becoming abundantly clear by this point that the Doctor is so protective, and is in the sort of in the back of his mind, trying to figure out how to fix this or at least figuring out how to broach the subject. Yeah, I see. And it's really interesting. interesting. So it's interesting you bring all that up as well, with Rory um, getting wiped and so on in the previous episode. I, I, I of course, have no memory of this at all. Mm. So little things now make sense. For example, there's a moment in this episode where uh, Van Gogh, Van Gogh, sorry, whichever way you want to pronounce it, says to Amy, you've lost someone. I can see it in your eyes. And, of course, she's got no clue what he's on about. And I remember mm. watching that moment and thinking, oh, he must mean Rory. But I didn't fully grasp as to why that was relevant. But now you've explained, yeah. that moment there makes a lot more sense to me. 
Yeah, and that that was one of the the things I was going to come to, and I'll, I'll just I may as well just touch on it now. Uh, now that you brought it up, she, Amy basically says to Vince, "I'm sorry, you're so sad." And then he he said, "But I'm not. Sometimes these moods torture me for weeks. But I'm good now. If Amy Pond can soldier on, then so can I." And she she insists that she's not soldiering on. Mm. But Vincent said, "I can hear the song of your sadness. You've lost someone, I think." And she says, "I'm not sad." And then Vincent just looks and says, "Then why are you crying?" And she didn't even realise that she was crying. Yeah. And this happens a couple of times. And he just looks at her, and he says, "It's all right. I understand." And she looks and says, "I'm not sure I do." And what I was saying before about <laughs> it weirdly links in with when you are when Vincent references these moods torturing him. That was kind of part of it where you're in, you think you're fine, and then you just something happens, you just go. Mm-hmm. But then you think, well, what, what's brought that on? Yeah. And you have to have this, or I have to, and this is all obviously my personal experience, yada yada. And you have to try and figure it out. And I have to try and figure it out before I can then address it. Yeah. So again, it's just one of those subtle things. And Vincent, obviously, is he doesn't know the full situation, but he sees the pain in Amy, and he recognises it because he lives it. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a real sweet moment of empathy for me. Yeah, and the relationship as well. Since we're sort of touching upon it there between Vincent and Amy. I really enjoy throughout this whole episode as well, because it's obvious Vincent thinks that she's, you know, she, she's a nice looking lass and he's very interested, you know, and then she's obviously not interested, but at the same time is laughing jokey with him. And it's kind of like, I, I just, I just enjoyed the whole relationship throughout the episode. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, it was because Amy's obviously got this hero worship of Van Gogh. He's, you know, he's a favorite painter. She's meeting one of the heroes mm-hmm. and, and he find, <laughs> turns out he fancies her. So you know she's 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 like she's like flattered, but no thanks. And Vince is just like cool. But if you ever get bored of the doctor, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we can have twelve kids or whatever it was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely that's definitely the way to chase her away, Vincent. Offer her children by the dozen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we basically we have the doctor and Amy arrive in. Uh, in 18, what would it have been? 1888, 1889, I think they said it was, wasn't it? Somewhere, 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 somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. And we see Van Gogh in, in a bar trying to barter with the barman to get another drink. And he, the doctor's asking waitresses and so on about, about Vincent and do, do you know him? And they say, yeah, he's drunk, mad, never pays his bills. And very quickly and very, I suppose, quite cleverly, we get the whole character of, of, of Vincent explained to us in these, these quick two minutes. That's one thing I noticed about this episode that it moves at quite a pace throughout the show. It's yeah. only 45 minutes long and they tell quite a story about like Vincent himself. And then there's this secondary story about this invisible, weird looking alien thing, but it motors on through these at, at, at quite a speed, I think. But it never feels rushed. No, somehow. no, that's right. It's, well, it was Richard Kurtz who was behind this episode because he got obsessed mm-hmm. with doing a... It, basically, Richard Kurtz was obsessed with the idea that Van Gogh did all his work and had this sort of tragic, tortured life and never knew he'd be famous. Mm. So he wanted to... Th- that was the core of the idea for this show and it, re- re- it, really, it really shows because this is, this is a Vincent Van Gogh 
episode that has the Doctor in it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's um, the Doctor is by no means the Doctor or the you know or Amy and uh, by by no means the focal point of the show, and I think it's fantastic. Just, I, I quite like they, that. Yeah, it's the second week in a row where I've picked an episode where the Doctor isn't the main focal point. Yeah, but I, I mean, I quite like. I mean, effectively, you obviously get episodes. I'm thinking classic Who and, and new Who now, but we you know, across the board we get episodes where. The whole purpose is the Doctor has to be there to, to save the day, so to speak. Mm. But I also really enjoy the episodes where, I mean, he's promising his companions, you know, travel and adventures and so on. And he's taking them places and showing them, you know, right from the off with, with Tennant, I suppose, and Rose, he's taking her to see, like, the edge of the universe, the end of the world or whatever, because it visually it's spectacular. And, and back in the, the, the classic Who times as well, he's traveling around with companions and wants to show them things and so on. Mm. I think when we get an episode like this where the Doctor has bought his companion and they're, they're looking at something, they're viewing something historical, and then they don't become the main aspect of the story, I think is is really nice twist on the sort of monster of the week, Doctor saves the day kind of ethos that the episodes tend to follow, I suppose, more regularly. Yeah, they're just in this, they've, they've spotted a thing, they've gone to investigate it, they they become a massive part of Vincent's life, you know, in terms of helping him and, and you know helping him manage his demons and mm. getting the actual monster off his back, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> you know they do that, but you're right. They don't. It's not like oh, then the doctor painted all the paintings or anything. You know, anything daft like that. Mm. It's yeah. It's it's a really nice take on it. Um, and just a couple of things when they say he's drunk, he's mad, he never pays his bills. You could using alcohol to cope with depression and and the mood swings and you know the peaks and troughs. Oh yeah, is that spot on? Oh yeah, yeah. I I, um, I essentially pissed away most of an inheritance when I was that bad, and I, it's it was one of the things that just sort of made it all worse. Mm -hmm. When it, when you realise you've fucked up that royally. Because you were just too far in, you know, you couldn't see the forest for the trees. You were so far in your own head. Yeah. But the but the drink was the only way out, or the only relief. It was. It, but it, that is spawn, and we see like sort of into Vincent's mindset when when they go back to his, um, but you know when the talk. Well, sorry, when they're talking about paintings, and they're still in the cafe, and he says Vincent says it's terrible, but it's the best he can do. Oh yeah, that that got me, man. That one line. Yeah. It's like it's almost like a, a form of imposter syndrome, mm. where like because we mentioned on it, we touched upon it last night when uh, after after a good few beers, it, it blows my mind that people listen to the stuff that I put out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because I'm just I'm sitting there thinking I do it because I enjoy it, and I do it if nobody listened. But I'm just like, wow, I'm just some I'm just some chud in the north of England. I'm just a, you know I'm just an idiot with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just, yeah, I'm just like, wow, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same. When, you know, it, it really, like, amazed me. I mean, you said about your, when, when we were at your house watching the football, you said about your brother who listens to one of my shows and th this sort of stuff. And, and or anyone like that, I mean, I, I, you get random DMs from people saying, you know, oh, I really enjoyed the show. Thank you for doing this. And, you know, whether it's, you know, shows I do elsewhere or this one or whatever, it literally blows my mind that there are people out there who look forward to what we do each week. Mm. I, mean, yeah, I, 
and I love it. This is going to sound this is going to sound weird and maybe a bit arrogant, but it's kind. Of, I'm I'm getting better at taking compliments, right? Because I, it's something I've always struggled with because I never believed they were genuine. If that makes okay, sense. Yeah. So I'd always like laugh them off or you say, oh, cheers, and then make a stupid self-deprecating joke or something like that. But it's it's like, no, I can actually just say thank you and try and, you know, and just take it on board and enjoy it. <laughs> mm. No, that's fair enough. And, and, and you should be, you know, taking, I mean, I, I love the shows that you're on UTT and et cetera. And obviously I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> So. We'll, just sit, we'll just sit here and pat each other on the boat. Yeah, aren't, aren't we bloody great? <laughs> <laughs> if I keep uh, saying it, I'll believe it one day. There <laughs> we go. <laughs> we we basically have a body. There's a scream, and there's a there's a body down uh, like a side road, and Vincent is blamed for bringing the, the demons because of his madness, which kind of goes into what you were saying about uh, earlier on, Dan, about uh, this time frame depression or mental health issues people thought that it was literally monsters or demons in your head mm. it's almost like the locals are blaming vincent for this this thing being there and killing yeah. people off and it's his demons from his i don't know what they really think but his demons from his head escaping or something like that it's kind of hinted at maybe well they just think they think because this madman's rolled into town that all the bad stuff's followed him mm. they see it as cause and effect yeah yeah, as they're walking away from this scene, <laughs> this tickled me a little bit. Uh, Vincent says, so where are you staying tonight? And the doctor, quick as a flash, just responds, ah, you're very kind. And they just head off yeah. to his house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he's in, Robert, you're good for one night. Yeah. One night. Yeah. And the, I, one thing I did like at this point was this: you had the, uh, the creature's point of view, and you could hear the breathing, and you saw it there, you know, just like watching, you know, just watching them move around and mm. go into the house. Oh, that was I thought that was quite cool and quite creepy. It's an old like it's an old horror trick again. Yeah, it, it's very clever, isn't it? Because it's that that suspense because you know they're being watched and it kind of makes you feel on edge because it's almost like you're being watched as a viewer. If 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 that makes sense, you know. Yeah, yeah, it does kind of. I get what you're driving at. Um, yeah. I just I just love this as well when they go into the house and he apologizes for the clutter and he says, "Watch out, that's uh, watch out, that one's still wet," and it's one of the you know the one of the famous paintings of his bedroom. Yeah. Um, he said, you know, sorry about the clutter. And it's all these masterpieces <laughs> dotted around. And it's, it's another great quote. He says, I've come to accept that the only one who will ever love my paintings is me. Mm, really sad. Sort and of. then he gets the coffee on. He leaves a coffee ring on, on one of the paintings. And the doctor's freaking out and saying, it's precious. You know, they're precious things. And he's, you know, he's saying precious to anyone. Precious to me, maybe. But not precious to anyone else. And Amy pipes up. Obviously, he's saying they're precious to her. Yeah, and then he says a line that anybody who's had those demons will say: "says You're very kind, and kindness is most welcome." Um, and there's something else that I'll come on to later uh, in that vein, but that that struck a chord as well because too often people, you know, people say, "Oh, you know, book up, you know, smile more, you know, oh, ma- manner." What's wrong with you? You got yeah, all you that got, bullshit. You got nothing to be sad about. That sort of thing. You know, all that bullshit, and yeah. it's just like nah. Yeah, don't wear it that way. <laughs> yeah. So, so, sorry, fucker, it don't work like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. But, um, uh, yeah, this whole, this whole thing's a quote machine to me because, again, he's, Vincent, just after that, um, he's clocked how often the doctor's saying about the church 
It's like, you know, it's a bit more of a, than a passing interest, dude. Come on. What yeah. are you driving at? And um, he starts talking about his love of art. And he says, it seems to me that there's so much more to the world than the average eye is allowed to see. I believe if you look hard enough, there are more wonders in this universe than you could have ever have dreamed of. And I think that's the moment where the doctor kind of looks at him and went, I knew I was going to like you. But yeah, we're mates now because that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's a very doctor thing to say, to be fair, isn't it? It's very, uh, it's very much something you can imagine the doctor himself saying to one of his companions, I guess. Yeah, it is. And it actually, actually, this sort of leads me to think that Tony Curran, who plays Vincent, would actually be a pretty good doctor. I had the same vibes. <laughs> I had exactly the same vibes, yeah. But there's, there's something about Vincent, and we see it later on when they're looking up at the sky. He has this this ability and this sort of the way his brain's wired allows him to see the world differently to everybody else mm. and and see certain things. And, you know, he goes, when he's, uh, when he's caffeinated off his balls, just after this, he's saying about how he, he can hear the colours and he feels nature shouting at him to capture its mystery. And <laughs> they're just like, you've had enough coffee. Yeah, let's get but you a cup of tea. Says. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but there is an air of that. You know, there's an air that he's got something... I don't want to say supernatural, but not not entirely human mm-hmm. ability to to see all these things, and it's it's kind of a comfort in a way to know that he that he was sort of really seeing these things, and he wasn't just I said just you know it wasn't just the mental illness that was messing you know messing with his head, mm. but maybe I'm projecting. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from, and as we're having these these moments, we get I suppose. What happens a few times in it in this 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 story this episode, a jump between the Vincent storyline, I guess, and then jumping across into the one that's running parallel with the invisible alien killer thingamy that's running around <laughs> because because it attacks and you hear Amy scream and Vincent can see this monster, the Doctor cannot, and that they're fighting effectively this invisible foe in in, in a courtyard, aren't they? They are, and Vincent is like wide-eyed with terror, and you can see the thing. The Doctor gets whacked by the creature's tail, mm. and Vincent's there, you know, trying to stab it with a pitchfork or whatever it was, and the Doctor's just swinging wild in completely the wrong direction. <laughs> which is which is what would happen, I suppose. If you can't see, you're, you are just going to be swinging wildly, and eventually yeah. Vincent basically gets rid of this, this creature. But the doctor is—he's again—he's not going to know any different. He's still swinging wildly, and the doctor, so Amy and Vincent both just stop and look at him as he's fighting with thin air. <laughs> and I just thought that was yeah. again that's um on one aspect, it, it's good because you get a touch of humour in there because you've mm-hmm. had this this monster attack and the the deep uh, the sort of deep deepness of the episode with the emotional stuff with Vincent himself, and then you get these little moments of humour thrown in there as well. But mm-hmm. I I struggle a little bit with with the bad guy, with the alien in the, in this, the, the monster of the week, so to speak, in this episode. Because the Doctor doing what he was doing, almost, it, it was funny, but it almost made light of the, the incident too quickly for me. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. It's a valid, it's a valid criticism. Um, because it's almost like the, the monster's been used as comic relief. Mm. Because of, obviously, the, the real intense and... and sometimes dark thing, you know, scenes with Vincent. Um, and, you know, you want your monster of the week to be scary. You don't want it to be the comic relief. It's, yeah. It just doesn't work that way. It's, it is one of sort of few aspects of this that 
just doesn't quite work. Yeah. I mean, we basically use Vincent's ability to see the monster for uh, a, a quite a clever purpose, really. He sits down and he paints, he paints the monster so the Doctor can try and identify what they're dealing with, I guess. And we get the, the insight of the Doctor's godmother uh, gave him a gift a long time ago. <laughs> and it's effectively like... Um, I, I don't know how how it would be looked at. I mean, I suppose you've got like Shazam, haven't you? Where it play you play music into your phone and it identifies it. This yeah. weird looking device with what looks like a a wing mirror from an old Land Rover on it is <laughs> is when that when that scans a picture, it identifies what this is, and it struggles with Vincent's picture because Vincent paints everything in such a way that his his creativity allows him certain license with it. So it's not an exact viewpoint of what the creature looks like. So that the machine kind of struggles, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And what, I, I just when he's finding it, he's sort of rooting through the TARDIS. And he says, I thought you were just a useless gadget, an embarrassing present from a dumb godmother with two heads and bad breath twice. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> but one thing, one thing I thought you'd like is when he, when the Doctor looks into this device himself, and it immediately, immediately brings up Hartnell. Ah, oh, yeah. And then Troughton, and then he shows it. The, he shows it the Crefeus, bit of picture. And then it shows up a parrot and then a polar bear. And the doctor just has a whinge about the impressionists. But he's like, this had never happened with, you know, whatever the name you reeled off was. He was like, he calls the one a proper painter. I was like, for God's sake. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> at, least he, at least he didn't say that when Vincent was around. Yeah, at least he didn't say it in earshot. That would have been, well, yeah. so I shouldn't make comments of earshot either, should we really? Let's be fair, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that. That wasn't intentional. <laughs> oh, Funny though. Yeah, um, we get a, a bit of a jump as well then, because Amy walks around. But basically, the Doctor's chased by the monsters and he through these these side streets, I guess. These side yeah, but again, again it was a, it was a moment of course, almost comic relief because the Doctor's there fiddling with the with the machine and the Crefeus is behind him, and you know the the device picks it up and it's like, ah, now I know what it is. Now I know what it is, and then it's just the like it looks in the mirror and like, ooh, and it's like you know comedy Scooby Doo, yeah. legs going legs going run away. And couple that yeah. with, the, with sort of the, the let's say the, uh, the the budget looking CGI, it's uh, it's it, it's just not a good villain, unfortunately. But they can they make, they do make the most of it in the end. Yeah, totally. And, and one thing I will defend them on with this. Okay, the CGI is not great, and the sort of comic relief around the the, the scary monster takes away a bit of the peril potentially. But when you are looking as a viewer and you're not seeing, you're not seeing the monster through Vincent's eyes, or or through the machine that the Doctor has, and, and you're looking like almost like Amy or the Doctor, or as a viewer ourselves, I guess. So we can't see this creature, but we know mm. it's there. And then you've got things like uh, it's running past, and it, it causes a, a a gust of wind as it runs by, and things move, or yeah. stuff falls over as it bundles into it, and it's. it's walking into trees and the bits of building a break as it walks through them. That I thought was brilliant. That I thought was really, really well done. Yeah. The practical effects were great. Can't follow mm. them at all. I, I wrote down the same thing about the, uh, the brick, the, the brickwork being, uh, being shattered. So yeah, yeah. They, they did do they had good aspects of it, but overall not, um, not a memorable villain or one that I'd be bothered about coming back. No, I wouldn't want to see it again, mate. Well, I suppose we don't see it anyway because you know we can't see it, can we? It's invisible, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I want to go and want to get whacked by its tail again. No, <laughs> uh, the we, get doctor... another, we get another jump scare though. 
Ah, yes. There's something about this episode with the Doctor scaring the shit out of Amy earlier on that we sort of glossed over when he said, "I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to go find the creature," and then he says, "I'll be back before you can say whatever he said." And then he just for some reason bobs his head back in and he just goes, "Not that fast." <laughs> then just bumps into Amy because she's gone for a wander because of instant snoring. Mm. <laughs> just walking into each other around the corner. Ah! <laughs> Yeah, that it that yeah, and that did make me jump to be fair. I didn't really sort of go, oh yellow, you know. <laughs> yeah, I chuckled. Yeah. Um the next bit I loved because the Doctor and Amy are waking Vincent up to go look for this monster, go to the church, etc. And he's waking up in his room and he's basically in the painting, the famous painting of his room where he lives. Yeah. He is he is in the painting, but it's in real life, not a painting, if, if you know what I mean. The set design's incredible. The, the cafe from before that we said mm. is one of the paintings. They got it spot on, uh, building the set. The bedroom, everything's where it should be. And then when he, you know, when Doctor says, oh, that Amy's got a surprise for you, and she's filled the courtyard with sunflowers, and she's just sort of gently saying, oh, maybe you could paint them. Yeah. And we get that a real, we get that sort of really amusing thing where he's like, oh, they're not my favourite flower. And just like, of all people, Van Gogh doesn't like sunflowers. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but again, little comments like that, I think, are really good because it adds to the the sort of character, the sort of progression in the episode because you, you know, he wants to paint it, you know, because Amy's asked him to or mentioned it and he's like, oh, not my favourite, but I will. And, and we know as the viewer in current time that this painting goes on to be, you know, a masterpiece and worth, it'll be priceless effectively and so on. Yeah. I think little things like that are quite quite clever. They're almost throwaway comments, but they always get a smile from me. Yeah, me too. Absolutely love it. But you, you said about throwaway comments, and that, that leads quite nicely into the next bit. Because Vincent goes to grab his things, because, you know, he shows him what the Crefeus is, and that it's effectively, you know, normally travel through space in packs, and this one's been left behind. Hmm. Uh, because the, you know, sad, the Yeah, but, they're, you know, they're such a brutal race, that, and they just leave, they leave the week behind, but they leave these invisible, sort of brutal, merciless killing machines. Hmm dotted around the universe. So, but because Vincent can see it, they're in a unique position to, to stop it. Vincent goes to grab his things and the doctor just offhandedly says, um, oh, we'll be out of your hair by this time tomorrow. And that goes along because Vincent, like Paul said, you're good for one night. And the doctor thinks, oh, we'll, we'll get out of his hair, you know? Yeah. But because of the fight, you know, the fighting the night before and fighting side by side and, and you know, chatting to Amy, he's quite quickly let his guard down and is sort of growing quite fond of them. And this, I think, leads to sort of a, I think what they're driving at it was maybe like abandonment issues mm. with uh, with Vincent. Because the doctor goes, they, they do this sort of back and forth with Amy saying, this is risky, we're, we're risking the life of one of the greatest painters ever at the peak of his like productivity, essentially. You know, when he was pumping out painting after painting um, over one summer. And he goes in to check on Vincent, and Vincent's just... In his, just on his bed, face down. Yeah. Just he's, face down. almost like a... a Breakdown seems too harsh a term, but he's almost had like this this realisation that these people that he's now fond of aren't going to be around, and that and it's it's really sort of thrown him back, hasn't it? Yeah, it's knocked him back, and it's very quick. The best way... It's hard to describe, because I've been there myself, and it's like it's like he simultaneously hit a brick wall... And then you start feel like you, or I feel like I'm sinking down a plug hole. Okay. If you know what I mean, it, it shifts like that. Just 
I was going to click them, but that probably sound horrible down the down the microphone. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's you know, and the first you know, the doctor says, "Can he help?" And then Vince says, "If you leave, and everybody always does, then I will once more be left alone and without hope." Mm. And it's a really bizarre thing because less than twelve hours earlier, he was saying, "You're here for one night, and that's it." But and it's, it's it's where I figured that depression is such an odd thing. And it leaves you wanting to be alone, but needing. And this is again, this is only my experience. You're alone, but you you want the company, but no one can say or do anything to bring you out of of the funk. It just, in my experience, it just needs to be left to pass. So you you just sort of want people to be present and be around, but you feel bad for asking because, or I do anyway, because I end up feeling like a burden. So I end up in this yeah. odd cycle of feeling like a hopeless, worthless piece of shit because you yeah. don't want to drag it because you don't want to you don't want to drag anybody else down, you know, sort of along for the ride, so to speak. But you know, it, but it would help having them there. No, I hundred percent know yeah, where you're coming because I, I I I kind of um I, I kind of get that myself um i mean this is difficult i've not really spoken at length about anything to do with this really but i wouldn't i wouldn't expect you to either so um just you know whatever you're comfortable with dude you don't have to no yeah no yeah no i appreciate that thank you um but yeah it is that thing of i didn't want to do anything hmm. uh, like literally nothing um but at the same time i find i find everyone this is going to sound pretty horrific. <laughs> I, I love my wife and kids and, and so on, but I found everyone an annoyance because I didn't yeah. want to do anything and I didn't want people around me because it was almost like they would make me do stuff. And I'm talking about anything at all. I'd pop into the shop, anything at all, you know. But then when they weren't there, it was it was such a weird, weird situation because when they weren't there, I realised I did want them there. But then when they were there, I wanted them gone. And it was just this whole thing of whatever the situation was, wasn't right. And it wasn't the situation itself. It was something in me just sort of not firing right, I guess. It was, very, it was really, really strange, you know? The way, the, way I've, the way I've sort of rationalized it in my own mind is like, is when, I'm in, when I'm in that kind of, of funk, my, I feel like my brain is, is like a cat that doesn't want to know whether it wants to be in or out of the house. Right. If that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. Because I've got cats. I know exactly where you're going from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's essentially how I sort of came to, to think about those sort of episodes when I was, when I go through them. Mm. And it's just like, it, it, I get into a weird sort of cycle where you say that, you know, you, you don't want people around, but then you miss them, but then you don't want them around. And then I sort of add an extra layer to that and feel like a piece of shit for for feeling that way you know for, for, even though I've never uh, I've never said a word to anybody or made anybody feel bad off, I'm like I'm treating them so poorly what am I doing oh so, mate <laughs> I, oh, I'd snap at people I'd snap at the wife and kids and, uh, and it, they'd done nothing wrong and it was just me and it was just what was going on with me and then I'd feel really bad afterwards because of that and it was yeah. but, I, but I couldn't sort of talk to anyone about feeling bad because of what I'd done because it would almost then be like admitting there was something up and this sort yeah. of spiral. And it just kept, you mentioned like a, uh, a, a plug hole. 
it felt like that. It felt like I was just like whirling down and down and down and down because one situation would lead to another, which would lead to, I'd catch 22 maybe. I don't know if that's the right saying, but it would sort of go one, one situation would lead to another, which would then lead to another, which would then take me back to the first situation. And it was just this constant bouncing from the couple of different things and nothing ever seeming to change. And yeah, I'll totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. And this was a a perfect microcosm of that. Because then 10 minutes later, he's up and he's ready to go. And as quick, I find as quickly as it comes along, and it may last days, it may last weeks, then as quickly as it comes on, I'm, I'm just, it'll lift. And I'm just yeah. like, oh. Like some, sometimes because I've identified what's bothering me and I've addressed it, and sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason at all. Mm. But then no, I'll get you. I'll, you'll find you'll either find a way to drag yourself through it, or it will something chemically in your brain finally balances out, and you're all right again. Yeah, in, in relative terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And this bit here, where where Vincent just walks into the room, and you you effectively see the shadow of him cast across on the wall, and it, it, the camera spans round to Vincent, and and he's got this long coat on, he's got this hat on, and he's picking up his gear, ready to go and paint and so on. I've got real old Wild West gunslinger vibes. Yeah, the it long, was a great shot. Oh yeah, with a long coat and grabbing the paintbrushes and putting them in his his holster even though it's not really a holster yeah. for guns, but it's like, it, he was like putting them in his, this, the side of his, his outfit, like you would put a gun in a holster. And it really mm. felt like the paintbrushes were his, his weapon, so to speak. And he was this old wild west gunslinger, this old gunfighter going into, into this battle, this duel with what's in front of him. And his paintbrushes were his weapon of choice, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, it was a great moment. And, and quite a nice lift from what we'd just seen. Mm. And, you know, we said before about peaks and troughs emotionally in the in certain episodes, that it then comes down a little bit again because they the find the, uh, the, the past, the uh, the funeral procession for the uh, for the, the girl that had been murdered uh, by the Crafes before. Yeah. Um, and that sort of just strengthens Vincent's resolve, if you like, and he, he gets set up to paint. And uh, the doctor's saying, you know, tell me if you see, see the monster anywhere. And he just looks at him and says, I'm mad, not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, Vincent. <laughs> and there's, but there's a real nice moment that a lot of people probably miss where the doctor starts saying, I don't think you're mad either. I don't think you're mad either. And he starts saying, you know, it seems to me that depression. And Vincent just goes, shh, I'm working. Yeah. He's like, he's in his zone now. He's in his sort of happy place, if you like. He's yeah. got his brushes in his hand and a job to do. And this is where we get some... I really like this sort of comic relief of the Doctor just not being able to handle how time passes. Yeah, and he's rabbiting on about other painters and, oh, I met such and such and he got on my nerves. and all. But the whole time, Amy and Vincent are almost trying to tell him to shut up because Vincent's trying to concentrate. It's like, it's like the Doctor is a little kid who is just hit with boredom whilst he has to wait for something. Yeah. It fully is that, and this was this was a thing sort of throughout Matt Smith's run because Matt Smith's run was weird because he took over when he was twenty seven, which is the youngest Doctor ever, mm-hmm. and you can see he look he looked proper baby face, and this is his first series. But over the year, over the series, he has, his character character the Doctor sort of his representation of the Doctor matured with him. 
Yeah. So as he got a bit more age in his face and stuff like that, and he, he started looking more like the Doctor, if you know what, if, in a weird way, you know, as he got a little bit yeah. older and, and he sort of toned down the more sort of childish um, aspects of his personality. Yeah, that, that's one thing about Matt Smith's run that I really liked, is that you sort of, you saw that Doctor kind of grow up, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, no, I understand. I get that. I get that. We, we get to, I suppose, the, the, the final fight scene, I suppose this is now, in the in the aspect of the alien side of this, this almost two-storyline show, I guess. The alien side of things is getting concluded here because mm. we, we effectively have them battling with the alien as Vincent is trying to tell him where the alien is. The Doctor, sorry, Vincent's trying to tell the Doctor where the alien is so he can battle with him. He's got the weird device off his godmother again, trying to see him, see the invisible alien, sorry. And this is where we kind of get more of a clear view of what it looks like and more of a sustained view for, for longer periods on screen rather than just quick flashes. And the note I've got here literally just says, um, bit of a shit monster. Yeah. It's, it's imagine a, imagine a shaved bear with a, with a parrot head. Yeah. I mean, I got sort of like little chicken vibes from like the neck up. Yeah, it was a bit, yeah. But with a Mohican. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good look, is it? No. And one yeah. thing I did like, we we got a little bit of uh, scientific uh, gubbins. Um, fin, you know, the doc says he's going in, and he tells Vincent not to go. And he says, "But you're not armed." He's like, "I am armed." What with overconfidence? Uh, overconfidence of this, and he just pats the bag. And he's like, "And a small screwdriver." I'm absolutely sorted. I just have to find. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to find the right prosactic setting and stunning with it. Sonic never fails. Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, what the hell's a prosactic setting? No idea. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Yeah, we will boop boop. Sounds like it hurt though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, Vincent's trying to describe to the doctor what's going on, where to attack, what to do, and so on, because he's he's the eyes of the the party, I guess. Mm. And this bit crapped me up because he tells the doctor to duck, and the doctor ducks as as the monster swipes above him, and then he shouts <laughs> left, and the doctor jumps to the left that gets walloped into the wall anyway. And Vincent's like, oh, no, sorry. Right. My left. My left. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me so much, but it really did. It really got me. Well, it's because the, the one who's been knocked around most in this episode is the Doctor. Mm. He's been got about four or five times by this point, by yeah. this monster. And this is where, it's this scene, this end bit, where the monster sort of comes into its own. Because... The doctor, fig- the, the figure out that it's moving weirdly, it's like skirting the edge of a room, mm-hmm. and the figure out that it can't see. Yeah, it's blind. It's effectively, it? it's yeah, it's effectively been left behind because it's blind. Which is so um, sad, again, isn't it? Oh, and, you know, I yeah. really, really sympathise with this little chicken-headed thing, you know. You know, it's not little, is it? it's massive. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking little chicken head on a big body is what I'm thinking. Yeah, this, <laughs> this like murder bear chicken. Murder bear chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Vincent, he, you know, Vincent comes in. He's got his easel, which has obviously got you know sharp points to stick in the ground as he paints, mm-hmm. and he, he he basically stabs the thing. Yeah. And he wasn't trying to kill it; he was trying to wound it. You know, the doctor wanted to stun it and take it home, and. Vincent says it wasn't without mercy at all. It was without sight, mm. which is a just a real kick in the nuts line. And the the doctors can understand what the Crefeus is saying because obviously the TARDIS has the translation matrix yeah. and all the rest of it. And the the Crefeus is sort of dying words are saying that it's afraid. 
Oh man, and this doctor, got me. Yeah, and the doctor put you know puts his hand on on it and tries to soothe it as, as the poor thing dies, and we see it's going to sound really weird to say, but we see essentially like invisible blood. Yeah, the, the, the stone changes colour as as it's hit by by the effectively the, the the moisture of the blood and, and all the rest of it, which was a really effective and really clever way to do it. But then Vincent comes comes up with a line. He says he was frightened and he lashed out like humans do, like the villagers who shout at me or the, or the children who throw stones at me. Mm. And then the doctor just sums it all up. Says you know sometimes winning is no fun at all. Man, I'll tell you what that what a fantastically well written scene because when I watched that this afternoon in preparation for our recording now that got me that proper got me in the feels and i'm thinking yeah. afterwards i'm like why am i getting why am i getting all th- this level of emotional f- your feeling it, it's it's a stripped back weird bare chicken-headed thing in me but i'm feeling <laughs> i'm feeling like emotionally linked to this weird chicken head thing you know it, it's a real testament to richard curtis that he managed to to make it that emotional mm. um and you're right this whole thing is in terms of the dialogue, especially, it's so well written. Um, because, you know, very next thing, the, the Doctor and Amy and, uh, and Vincent are laid on the grass. Yes. And they're looking up at the night sky. And he's sort of explains, explaining how he sees it. You know, how he sees how he sees the, the different colours and, and all the rest of it and saying, you know, look there, and he's, you know, they're all holding hands. And the whole night, uh, the whole skyline changes into uh, his painting, Starry Night. And he... Goes, you know, it goes on, and he's he's just, it's just great to listen to. It's very well performed again by Tony Curran. Um, I think it's brilliant because um, it it's not dark and black and without character. This it, the black is in fact deep blue, and over there, lights are blue and blowing through the blues and the blackness. And the wind swirling through the air and the shining, burning, bursting through the stars. And I could I could listen to him talk like that forever. Yeah, and as as he's doing this, and they're all led on the grass looking up were as a viewer getting the visualization of patterns spinning through the sky and lighting in a certain way and, and, and so on. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And it's just, again, putting things like, you know, like his, his mental issues and potentially this more unique character, you know, character trait of his or, or ability to see these things, putting those into relative terms. Mm. I think it's marvelous. I think it really is. Yeah. Uh, I suppose we better tackle the uh, the final scene then, mate, aren't we? This gets sure. this gets this gets a lump in my throat every time. Yeah, yeah, for many right, different right. reasons. So prepare yourselves, folks. You might hear a grown man cry on a podcast because I, <laughs> I, 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 I had I had tears in my eyes nearly blubbing watching this this afternoon, and, I've, yeah. and, I've, yeah. and I watch it at least once every six months. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, we basically get. Uh, the doctor decides he's going to take Vincent into the TARDIS to show him something because this man is, he's a tortured soul. And it's almost like you want to give him a little bit of joy before, for, for, for as horrible as it sounds before the end comes. Cause we all know how, how Van Gogh, you know, sadly mm-hmm. ended his life. So they take Vincent back to the museum where they, where Amy and the doctor start the episode. But and before that we get, so we do get a little bit of wee wee beep boop. Okay. Oh yes, with the with the controls in the TARDIS. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, that was so good. But Vincent has a great line before that. He says, "You two live like this, and I and I and you've stayed sane, and I'm the one who's mad, or something along those lines." <laughs> yeah. And he's he's looking at all the controls and what do these things do? And the doctor's like, "Oh, they have, this one plays soothing music." 
this one makes a huge amount of noise and he's just firing up the TARDIS. So this one makes everything go absolutely tonto. And, you know, as a takeoff and they're being thrown around and all the rest of it. Vincent reaches for something and what's this one? He's just goes, that's the friction contrafibulator, like, as if it could, like, blow a hole in the universe. Or yeah, something. don't touch that one. <laughs> yeah. And he says, and this, and the doctor just points to a red light and goes, that's ketchup. And he points to a yellow light, and that one's mustard. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And it's, it's when they land at the Musée d'Orsay in Paris in 2010. And the first thing, one of the first things Vincent does is marvel at a portable radio. Yeah. Such a small detail, but so accurate. And, and this <laughs> is just so well done by everyone involved. I think, effectively, you, they, they, Dr. Vincent and Amy go back to the Van Gogh exhibition. Mm. And you've got Bill Noy's character in there again, sort of showing people around the paintings and so on. And Van goes, he's looking at, he's looking at his own paintings and seeing all these people sat around marveling at his work. And in the background, you can hear Bill Nye talking to people and, and, and so on. But I think everybody involved in this is fantastic because obviously, obviously Vincent, Vincent's reaction and facials and the emotion he shows in this scene is what really tips you over the edge and what really gets you. Yeah, but the doctor definitely. and Amy's reactions to Vincent's reaction is perfectly done and so understated as well. It's not mm. thrown in your face. You don't get a massive long close up of the of the doctor and Amy, but you catch them in, in the camera at times or they have quick cuts to them away again. So it's just subtly adding to the emotion of the moment when you see the two characters that you're most most linked with on a weekly basis displaying the emotion in their reaction to Vincent's reaction. And then Bill Nye, I mean this guy's an absolute dude. He is a he is yeah. a legend, and the way he talks about Van Gogh and the paintings and so on, when the Doctor asks him to explain what he thinks, is just why, and it's just it, 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 oh, it's just so good, Dan, isn't it? It's a perfect storm, and again, as someone who's who's been through similar issues to to, to Van Gogh, if you were to do the same, you know, if, if you know, if you told me in hundred two hundred years, whatever that, you know, for example, podcasts have been on this, uh, so, you know, widely and highly thought of. Mm. And, uh, you know, you sat me and then, I'm just going to go into it because naturally I've got it written down. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> the doctor the doctor says, you know, to doc, uh, now Bill Nye's character is called Dr. Black. He says, um, in a hundred words, what does Van Gogh, uh, when do you think Van Gogh ranks in the uh, race in the history of art? He says, to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of them all certainly the most popular great painter of all time, the most beloved, his command of colour most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, that strange wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the world's greatest artist, but also one of the greatest men who ever lived. And... Can you sorry, I get a little bit choked up just doing that because I'm, I'm remembering oh, Tony Curran's face. It's, it's amazing, mate. It's amazing. Because he's just overwhelmed, mm. as you would be. And you write the reaction of the doctors because you know he's crying. And there's no shame in that at all. Because I would be too. And the doctor immediately goes, Vince, you know, he just goes to check on him and he's saying, you know, the tears of joy. And he, he we get quite a fun little callback. He, he goes over and does the whole, you know, kiss on both cheeks. It's for Dr. Black and then thanks him and apologises for his beard. 
Yeah. Um, because <laughs> Amy had told him, we'd glossed over it, but Amy had told him before, trim the beard before you next kiss someone. Um, <laughs> and uh, the last thing of this is, so Vince has been sent home with renewed hope and joy, and he knows how his work will be received and remembered. But Bill Nye has a great moment, and it's just a look where he's wondering, hang on, a redhead, a redhead called Vincent just kissed me on both cheeks after I was talking about where, of what Vincent Van Gogh made, like, meant to me. It's like, no, was it? No. And it, it's, it just in one look, he conveys all of that, does Bill Nye. Yeah, so so well done, isn't it? No, he, he was actually one. He was actually one of the actors in the running to be the ninth Doctor when they rebooted the show. Yeah, I read that, and I think he'd make a bloody great Doctor. You know, I think he would even now. Yeah, if have you, uh, I know you probably haven't because this was a, a film that came out that I don't think got any like much widespread sort of love. But there's a film called The Boat That Rocked. Yes, I've seen that. Holy shit! I know, I've seen it. <laughs> but that the way sort of Bill Murray plays his character in that film. Mm-hmm. And the way he plays the, you know, the, the uh, Doctor Black here, a mishmash of that would be like peak Doctor. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and yeah. so I don't. If you don't mind, I'll just carry on with. Sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. You. Carry on. Um, run, you run through. Yeah. The the drop, um, the drop Vincent off, and he, he's he's incredibly happy, and he's saying you're the, saying you're the first Doctor to ever make an actual difference in my life repeats his uh, proposal to Amy. And just a nice story point, she just drops in that she's not the marrying kind. Yeah. Which is just, again, a throwaway line, but so good. Mm-hmm. In the wider context of the series, it's just really, really spot on. And, you know, the leave and Vincent, just like, he, he, sees, he sees that the TARDIS is gone and he's just like, yeah, of course it has. Of course, but again, it's all conveyed with just a look. Mm. I love that, but Amy wants to go back to the museum to see all the new paintings from the long life of Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, because you do kind of get the impression as they disappear, as as, as the TARDIS dematerializes, as a viewer, you kind of get the impression, okay, Vincent seems all right in this moment. And I suppose it's another testament to how, how some mental health issues work. Here, mm. he seems okay. He seems like what the Doctor has done has made a difference. You know, but ultimately mm. we find out that's not exactly the case. Sorry, Dan, please, please carry on. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's, and, but the doctor's trying to just like bring her down and just say, look, maybe not. Maybe not. Mm. So she walks in and she sees that there's no new paintings. And she, Amy feels, you know, she, she's nearly, you know, she's nearly going, you know, yeah. she's well enough. So saying that she, they didn't make a difference whatsoever because he, he still killed himself. And this is the point where the sit down. The, f- the first thing majorly that got me in this was the uh, the thing with Vincent and the and Doctor Black. That you know that was amazing. You know, and, and that got me thinking about how you know how you you know you push through things with passion and you, and you do your best and who knows how it'll be remembered later on. Yeah, that that was something that resonated with me completely. And and you know even though he did all that while suffering these horrific you know m- mental issues essentially was kind of like, well, I'm not letting this beat me. But then this bit at the end really, really spoke to me. Amy says we didn't make a difference at all. She thinks it's just been all hopeless. And the doctor says, it's, it just goes with it, and he says, I wouldn't say that. The way I see it, every life is a pile of good things and bad things. The good things don't always soften the bad things, but vice versa, the bad things don't necessarily spoil the good things and make them unimportant. 
and we've definitely added to his pile of good things. Mm. And that view on life and, and the pile of bad things and the pile of good things and how they relate or don't relate to each other, I, f- I still feel to be so true. Because I can just say now, if I have a wobble, if I have a, you know, if I have a bout of depression, goes on the pile of bad things. Something else will come along to be on the pile of good things. Or, you know, what, on, what was on the good things for today? That, you know, that, that's the bad shit that happens. That's what I naturally gravitate to and focus on. Because deep down, I'll be perfectly honest, deep down, my brain is wired in such a way that I hate myself. That's just the way it's, the way it's wired. But to get out of that mindset, you say, well, that, yeah, okay, you've done the bad things, you dick. But what was the good things today? What, you know, and just from that one bit, I extrapolated a whole new way of thinking. Mm. Because it's right. And you, as soon as I started thinking about life that way, saying that piles of good things, piles of bad things, I realized as, I realized as well the, the best way forward is to try and add to people's piles of good things. Yes. Because I, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. Nobody is. You, you know, you're going to, people, people are people, we're going to fuck up. But just make sure that you try, at least trying to put more good in than, than the bad things that you may do accidentally or in, you know, of rage or annoyance or, or jealousy or just however you know, or anything. Yeah. yeah. And it's that, that was the, the kernel of now 12 years of an altered mindset. So mm. it's really, yeah. it's really powerful stuff, mate, you know, and you know, you say that's the way your, your brain's wired. I just want to let you know that, you know, you've got no reason to hate yourself, dude. I bloody love you. <laughs> and I, I find it difficult to love anyone. So I love, I love you, Dan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. So I love you, buddy. Nice. Um, in this nice. <laughs> we but, do get a little note, don't we? On, on the painting, there is one slight change to a painting, which, Brought, brought a smile to my face at the end of the episode. Mm. The on the sunflowers, the, the actual painting says Vincent ac- across the sort of the vase, I guess, where the sunflowers are, are in. On this version that Vincent's painted in the in the exhibition in the museum, it actually says for Amy from Vincent, mm. which is lovely, real nice touch. Yeah, it really is, and Amy takes great comfort in that, and you can mm. see it in her face. A huge smile. It doesn't make sense, but she's got a huge sad smile. In that, you know, she knows she's sort of taken on board what the doctor said. She's seen that she's seen the, um, you know, the, the the sort of sign off. I guess you could call it. And the one thing I had to say is, well, the music for this end bit. I, I, I forgot to Google the song, but the music is so spot on. Mm. It's what that is what's playing on the radio when the little boy walks by, isn't it? And the song just kind of carries on through the, the whole scene. Yeah, yeah, it does, and it, it's perfect. But one thing I did like is they just have they sit, they stand there, do Amy and the doctor, and just look at the painting, and just, just Amy just comes out with, "If we'd got married, our kids would have had very, very red hair." <laughs> ultimate ginger, ultimate ginger. Yeah. They refer to ours, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they just have that sort of nice moment together, and. Just like that moment of reflection. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where it ends. We end on that, essentially on a ginger joke. But <laughs> for for what to a lot of people was sort of a throwaway 
mediocre episode. Um, mm. It changed my outlook on life for for over a decade, and I just wanted to get this into season one, and uh, and yeah, just I just wanted to get it on the air and talk about it because means a very very much means a lot to me. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, mate. That's fantastic, and I'm really glad that you've chosen this episode because it was better than I remembered, even though you know you got emotion at the end. And, yeah. uh, and and I felt, you know, absolutely gutted for the weird chicken headed thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, I want to thank you as well for opening up as much as you had during this episode and explaining exactly why this means a lot to you, because it really sort of resonates with me and my own struggles, I guess. But also other people out there listening, it, it may you know, open their eyes a little bit. But also, I mean, it, it, it kind of adds more meaning to the episode to me as your friend watching it back knowing how important and how it influenced you as well you know yeah oh well i say i had like tears in my eyes and all that uh, you know earlier i was like on the if i'd have been on my own in the house there'd have probably been a good degree of ugly crying it, part of doing this as well it was a bit of a personal challenge because I've, I've said that you know i've said this in private conversations to people but i really i, I wanted to see if i could put it out there and, and and make it through without without crying, and I've done it, and I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I was desperately, I was watching it, and I'm getting all emotional over the end. But I was like, desperately trying not to like ugly cry in front of my nieces who are in the yeah. other room. Yeah, <laughs> like they do not need to see Uncle Dan in that state. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough, fair enough. Ah, okay then. So I suppose that actually concludes what we refer to as new who for season one of the doctor who pod dan doesn't it it does and it's been a wild ride i yeah, really enjoyed it bloody great you made some absolutely fantastic suggestions uh we're gonna tinker on the format a little bit going into season two a few different ideas but i've really enjoyed the episodes you've, you've put forward here we have the doctor who movie to conclude our first season in a couple of weeks <laughs> time. something that i know you love dan but something i've never seen so that's going to be hugely interesting but before we get there we have one last classic who uh, story to look at one last classic doctor to look at i am left in my selections with peter davison and we are going to go literally to the end of his run we're going to go to march 1984 and we're going to take in a story where we get to see Perry again. And a story that was described in 2009, or voted for, sorry, in 2009, by Doctor Who fans as the greatest story in Doctor Who history. Which oh. I think is a big shout, a big, a big sort of, a big claim to make. But when I watched this back a couple of months ago, I thought it was right out there as one of the best I've seen. So I hope that I'm bringing this to your attention and you'll enjoy it too. I would like to take a little look at, I'm going to butcher this now and I apologise, The Caves of Androzani. The Caves of Androzani? I've never heard of it. Yeah, there we go, look. I'm excited. I'll be honest, I'm Googling it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Caves of Androzani, sixth serial of the 21st season. Okay. Mm -hmm. Four episodes, four 25-minute episodes. Um, At this stage, they were being aired twice a week. So it completed in a fortnight, but it is four episodes. So not too long, but at yeah. the same time, it's not a crazy short story. Uh, yeah, always ranks really high on like Doctor Who magazine and online polls and all that sort of stuff. And like I said, in 2009, it was actually voted in the poll that was conducted that year as being the best Doctor Who story in history is literally the title that it was given. So 
yes very interested to hear your thoughts on that one my friend i can't wait to watch it i mean christ it, it, the doctor who fandom can be notoriously difficult to please oh yes oh yes so for it to be given to be for it to be given that title I normally go into things like sort of limiting my expectations, and I will be doing that to a degree. Yes. But I'm still going in with fairly high expectations for this one. Yeah, and again, it is it is of its time. It's 1984. It's not, oh, yeah. you know. So you've got to sort of bear that in mind. But I, I I really enjoy Peter Davison as the Doctor, and I go and revisit his stuff quite often, to be honest. I, I probably rank him up there as one of my favourite Doctors going, but purely because I'm, I look at it from that standpoint of how often I go back and revisit his stuff. And this story, I adore. Mm. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. And hopefully the people who are listening along to this podcast, and if you are watching the episodes as we go through the years, I hope you enjoy it as well. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, if people are watching along, you're watching it for the first time, same as I am. So let's get into it. And I'm already looking forward to talking about it. Awesome stuff. Before we depart, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually talking about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on uh, Unbooking the Territory. Uh, we are at, so we're on all good podcast platforms and we're on Twitter at UTT Podcast, where we'll look at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, we've also got a side project called uh, Unbooking the Tankatory, which is on Twitter at UTT Tank, and that's looking at the, uh, the life and times and the ups and downs of the WCW career of Tank Abbott. Um, it's it's a niche within a niche within a niche but we enjoy doing it awesome stuff and everything is well worth a follow and well worth a listen so go and check all of that out Uh, if you want to listen to anything else I'm involved in the best way of doing that is if you're on Twitter follow me at SJP words if you're on Facebook find the group SJP all the shows and info and from there you'll get links to everything I'm involved in that is Nitro Nights that I do with our good friend Scottish Danny looking at WCW one show at a time from the first Nitro right through to when the company closes down Chain Wrestling which is live on a Monday night via Radio Tech's YouTube and Twitch and the podcast version is also available later in the week on the Wednesday uh, The Waiting Room comes out on a Friday morning with Benny Mac and I looking at Quantum Leap, a bit more sci-fi time travel stuff there. Uh, That comes out every Friday, looking back at Quantum Leap episode by episode. I'm bloody loving doing that. (laughs) And also, and perhaps most importantly, you can follow this show at the Doctor Who pod on Facebook and Twitter. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who pod. But like I said, track me down at SJP Words, and you'll get links to all the stuff I'm involved in shared there anyway. Dan, it's been an absolute blast. It's been heavy. It's been emotional. It's been brilliant. I've loved seeing you this weekend and sharing a few beers. I've loved talking Doctor Who with you, and I'm really looking forward to talking a bit of Pete Davidson with you next week. Yeah, thank you for an epic weekend, mate. It's been an absolute blast. Loved every minute of it. You know, all the all the, all the many, many beers sunk, the chats we've had. And <laughs> you know, round, rounding it off with this one is just perfect end to a belter of a weekend. And the good news is the podcast is still going. Um, it turns, yeah. out we, it turns, out, turns out we actually turns out we actually do get on in real life. Um, <laughs> yeah, how awkward would that have been if we'd met and just like completely despised each other? <laughs> I, th- I think the chances of that were pretty low. But you yeah. never know. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, great stuff. Can't wait. And then I'm just I'm I'm excited for Peter Davison. I'm really excited about the movie. Oh yeah, I think quite a few people are, mate, getting my uh, my eyes on that for the first time. But there we go. I will speak to you next week, my friend. Catch you soon, pal. Bye bye.
And to everybody else, as always, thank you for listening. within an age but we enjoy doing it uh, so if you want to if you want to just pop along and listen to you've gone again but hello i can't hear you can you hear me hello hello oh, i don't know what's happening with this route it just shit the bed for as we go through the years, I hope you enjoy it as well. Yeah, I can't. Sorry, I just got distracted because there's a moth flying around my head in the room I'm recording. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to swat it away. Is not an episode I would have picked if I was picking from the. I forgot the fucker's name. Matt Smith. Yes. Okay.